This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian-owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. This has exposed yet again how far America has not come in the racial battle. It is terrifying what is happening. You've got a pandemic that's killed 100,000 Americans, a large proportion of them being African-Americans from low-income areas. You've got this incredible faulty justice system. You've got a really cracked healthcare system. You have a president who can't lead himself out of a paper bag. There are women in the AFL industry who were really disappointed that not one woman was put on Gillan McLaughlin's corona cabinet. Suburban Australian life, which for so long was ridiculed, sometimes kindly, by people like Barry Humphreys and Clive James and the like, now, of course, has become the refuge. What's this week's favourite royal family photo? Queen on horse. Has she been back on the nag? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Welcome, everyone, to episode 130 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie Perkin is with me, Caroline Wilson. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. Isn't it lovely having winter with us again? No, it's been disgusting. And to think that we've got three months of it is just horrendous. Horrendous. Um, My Indian summer prediction fell flat, although I still haven't given up, but it's not looking great. We're brought to you today, Corrie, thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian energy and gas. We've got some lovely feedback. We've got a couple of negative comments, but we might address them as well. Um, Gillian Edney loves our show. Was surprised to hear that her 88-year-old mum, who also loves listening, can't hear anymore because we speak too fast. Now, we've heard a lot of this, Corrie, but great news. Gillian's mum is thrilled to work out that she has adjusted the speed and she's gone back from 1.5 to 1. She's even tried it on 5. It sounds like even point more point five, point five, 0.5. Where we talk sounds really like, slowly. Sounds like we've been on the shamps. But that's, you know, good. It's well, I've Jill- had a lot of comments about the, how we talk too fast. Gillian's mum, uh, it's, not, it's, it's quite common that people do change the speed and they don't really realise it because it's ever so subtle. But we do end up sounding like chipmunks when we... When we're on 1.5. So everybody just make sure that your speed's on number one. Thank you, Jill, for that uh, message. And another message from Pencil4321 via Instagram. Just made the scones for the in-laws. A total triumph. Thanks, Corrie, plus the Queen and Jeff Slattery. That was referring to last week's recipe. I've got a cracker of a recipe this week for a cake. Look, Kell Island, if you're listening, it's not that complicated. There's a complicated step, but you don't have to do it. Anyway, um, we'll talk about that a bit later. We've got some very serious matters to discuss. uh, We're going to talk about – I'm dying to talk about items that have been um, bought um, in bulk – Due to Corona, I think that's a really interesting topic, and I know we both read Bernard Salt's column over the weekend about changes to Australian suburban life as a result of the lockdown. So that's going to be interesting too. Um, now Jane H. Corey has taken you to task. She was a bit disappointed that you raised the question as to whether female leaders have been superior to their male counterparts. She felt it was outdated and shameful, Corey. She thinks um, we should celebrate the success of New Zealand, German and Denmark leaders without making it a gender battle. Um, I'm not sure that you did make it 
gender battle. And I, I was su- actually quoting The Guardian, which had written a story about it. Are, are women leaders doing better than their but men? But you actually thought so as well. I mean, Well, yes. I, yeah. I pointed out that there'd been some female leaders who'd done a terrific job. And then I did point out a couple of blokes like uh, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump who hadn't uh, hadn't done such a great job of leadership during the coronavirus. It is an interesting I argument. I didn't really though, mean to it? make it a gender battle. I quoted The Guardian. But no. anyway, if we, James, if we, said, we love feedback. We do love feedback. I mean, if we said that the female leaders have been duds as a whole. Oh, well, yes, we'd be crucified. Yeah, it's sort of hard to know. I mean, you try not to make it a gender battle. For example, Raylene Castle clearly didn't do a great job, as it turned out, of running the Australian Rugby Union. And she was the only, you know, high-profile female sports boss of all the footy codes. And she wasn't the only one to have done a poor job. Todd, Green, Todd Greenberg was given the flick from the NRL. It's sort of different. You've got to be careful with your wording, don't you? Well, I suppose we do. So I apologise if I caused any offence to Jane. I didn't really mean to. I suppose The Guardian did by, by raising the premise that perhaps women who often have empathy, who often have sensitivity and are uh, in, a, in a great job and they've got a crack brain, that maybe sometimes they've been handling this pandemic issue a bit better than some of the men. There are, there I didn't are, say all men. There are women in the AFL industry, I hate calling it an industry, but it, 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 we've seen what an industry it is now that it's in crisis, who were really disappointed that not one woman was put on Gillan McLaughlin's corona cabinet. So they chose four male presidents. There is only one female president, but they could have put Peggy O'Neill on and four male commissioners. And there are three women on the AFL, I think three or four, three women on the AFL commission and not one woman chosen. And there was a view that that was not forward thinking at all. And the club presidents, apart from Andrew Pridham, who's a quietly spoken and very, very successful a venture capitalist, a banker, whatever. Probably I'm using the wrong word, but a private equity guy, really, really smart. All the others are big names, big egos, loud mouths, and there was a view that it wasn't future looking at all. Well, in it any doesn't way. represent half the population who go to the footy games. Well, we know that yeah, roughly fifty percent of the supporter base is female. But I guess that when you're looking at how to save the game in a crisis, you don't need to have equal gender balance. It was interesting though that yeah, not it, one woman. It is interesting. Corrie, I'm I a huge fan of Linda Danvers, uh, who who is a regular contributor to our mailbag. Hi, Linda. And she said, love the show today, which was last week's. And she said, I was straight onto my beautician when bookings opened. Eyebrows in desperate need of attention. And she also, like us, Carol, had flashbacks flashbacks to the Banana Splits program. And she remembered it was called Danger Island. That's oh, it. Oh, Tongo. <laughs> That's it, Tongo. And then she said the highlight of the week was they'd always have a banana split for dessert while watching the show. And she also loved HR Puff and Stuff, Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch. I loved HR Puff and Stuff too. Boy, did I have the biggest crush on Jack Wilde. Yeah, I, I like that. That was the only reason I liked it. My but brother loved that show. Somebody asked me the other day, can you remember the name of the flute, the magic fruit flute? Was it Freddie? I can't remember. Oh, Caro, I'm dig sorry. Deep into oh. your 1968 brain. Yeah, no. No. Um, okay, Linda, can you let us know what the flute's name is? You know please? me, I was usually more into into more sort of suburban situation comedies. I love Patty My Duke. Three Sons and Patty Duke. But, you know, there you go. Um, there's a lot to talk about today. You've got a cracker of a book that you and Anna, and the, Anna of the Op Shop fame have been talking about. And, Linda, I'm counting down only several hours to go to my visit to the beauty parlour. I reckon I'm going to lose about two kilos after I get my legs waxed. <laughs> oh. 
didn't you didn't you receive a funny text from somebody? I'm sure we did actually from a mutual friend of ours who was on a road trip with her husband who has discovered the podcast and just said he was waiting with bated breath to hear chapter two of the Hairy Legs oh. episode. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, that that must have been one sent to you. And, and whether the beautician actually fainted. <laughs> oh, I'm honestly For the they, big reveal. It must be. It must be. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people. I don't know about you, but you ring your local sort of restaurant or you ring your local beauty parlour, and they just laugh. Oh, don't be ridiculous. We're booked out for the next three weeks. People there must be a lot of because, hair clogging up well, the yes, drains and, of Melbourne. And you can only have a few people. Well, no, because it goes on to the wax. Heaven knows what they do with the wax afterwards. Like, could they, didn't, don't they recycle it? Is I'm sorry. You can, I'm take gonna, the... look, can we get off the topic? <laughs> June challenges, Carol. We're on to a new month with a new challenge. What are you up to? We do. Look, I've got a boring challenge this month. I'm sorry to be boring. Start as I mean to go on is my June challenge, which is stay relatively healthy Keep up with the walking, keep saving money because no one is earning as much money as they were about six months ago. Don't fall for the, oh, it's winter, you know, the extra Pinot over dinner. Um, oh, stay in bed. Don't look at me when you say don't, that. Don't do the walk in the morning. Um, well, I mean, you were the one who had the four o'clock deadline <laughs> that moved the six o'clock deadline to four o'clock without even consulting me. Um I just feel as though I'm feeling pretty good, but there's a long, cold winter ahead and we're not travelling like we sometimes do over winter. There's a lot more work than there normally is over winter. Oh, my God. I've got to take my tablets now. This so, is a really depressing start to a podcast. It's a, um, it's, um, you know how I, it's brought out all the cliches. You know how I said that a few months ago? Count your blessings. Well, now it start as you mean to go on. Okay. Hold, hold tight. What about you? Well, how do I measure Stick it with fat. you, though? You'll have to run through your entire week's activity. My 10,000 step count average will be maintained, Corrie, is one thing I'll be doing. Okay. What well, my you? challenge is I'm going to start writing my children's book, Mr. Oh. Mr. Kitten Goes to Town. Look, I've got the... I've got you, the you've got a name now. Well, I the knew title. the name, but you put it out there so you can't, you cannot let us down now. Look, if anybody decides to take my idea, can I just, can I just say at the start of this challenge, it's yours. <laughs> No, you're if you can think it. of the name of the ne- nemesis, please let me know. <laughs> You've pa- and whether he's a badger or a fox or a bandicoot, mm. Roland. Roland, that's a good name for a, a bad oh, guy, don't God. you think? Look honestly, and if everybody's going to an feed animal. in. Let's just let's just start with Mister Kitten. Goes just came to, town. to me. We walked for Roland. We walked. Apologies know, to all the lovely Rolands We walked hundred kilometres over the Cornish. Cornish hills and cliffs last year, and I couldn't come up with that. And in one second, it's come to me. <laughs> listening, listening to my synopsis, we were a bit desperate for convo, weren't we? We were all really interested, and we're sitting here a year later, and it's still not written. All right, come well, on. June, that's okay. the challenge. I want at least a chapter done, Corrie. Oh, good. Okay. Now we have to um, get typing. We have to sort of become a little. We have to become completely serious now because there are some terrifying. There is a terrifying situation playing out in America that has just been going on for days now. And as we sit here today, Corrie, we've seen a second, unaf- more realistic coroner's verdict about how George Floyd died. And it was some um, asphyxiation due to pressure. Just a horrific, horrific story. Uh, George Floyd on May 25th this year, an African-American died in Powderhorn, a neighbourhood south of downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. So he was handcuffed lying face down on a city street during an arrest. Derek Chauvin, 
a white Minneapolis police officer, kept his knee on the right side of Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. That's according to the criminal complaint against the policeman. Um, Two minutes and 53 seconds of that time occurred after Floyd became unresponsive. America has erupted. Donald Trump has been on the line. He's gone into lockdown himself. He's told all the mayors and governors that they're weak. You have to dominate or you'll look like a bunch of jerks. You have to arrest and try people, he said. And, of course, somebody taped the phone call to the governors and leaked it to CNN. Well done. This, um, Whichever governor has a good conscience. The, How absurd. I hate to sort of – this isn't cultural cringe, but a lot of people I talk to just in my daily, you know, gathering information to talk about football, a lot of people, leaders in the AFL game sort of see this as a really – see this as a portent. Now, I don't think – I can't see this happening in Australia, even though people might be becoming a bit high in anxiety, stir crazy. Yes, we have, we also have a serious racial issue in this country, but this has exposed yet again how far America has not come in the racial battle. It, it is terrifying what is happening. And the response, the outrage response is completely understanding, understandable, but it's just gone too far, and now America is is burning. Caro, there was a uh, earlier this week. There was a protest, a peaceful protest in WA, where a number of Indigenous leaders and also citizens of Perth gathered, and uh, there it was a support for George Floyd and what a lot of American citizens are doing at the moment in thirty plus cities. These protests have been going on. And um, black deaths in custody, of course, was a key issue and has been spoken uh, about on the media and will continue to be, of course. In fact, the drum on Monday night had a really interesting episode. Um, They featured an Indigenous leader, Wesley Aird, who is in the arts, and he was uh, really terrific. And and he talked about uh, how he he and his people have always wanted to have a relationship with Australian police where they're not going to think, I could die here. So if, if um, an Indigenous person is brought in by the police or uh, reprimanded, if they've broken the law, even speeding in a car, they're not going to fear, I could die as a result of this. Just give me the fine, give me the, give me the sentence or give me the appropriate uh, justice, but I should never fear that I'm going to die in custody. It was very, very powerful. The other interesting thing too, just on the local front, Caro, uh, again on the drum the other night, there was a really interesting, I haven't come across her before, Santilla Chiang, uh, Chang, Chang Pei, I think is how I pronounce her name. She's uh, an author, a journalist, and she also serves on the federal government's advisory group on Australia-African relations. And she was really terrific on this, to- on this topic as well. And she said that the, the feeling is often that racism has come from uh, African-Americans or Indigenous Australians, or in her case, African-Australians. And it's the unwillingness from others who might not understand or identify, or others who are looking away or choosing not to be involved because it looks like it's a black issue. She said, it's our issue. And I found that really powerful. It actually is our issue. And I think a lot of uh, middle-class America in particular, which, let's face it, they hold so much of the power in so many of the institutions, I think they're the ones who are being galvanised. This could be, this terrible, sad moment could actually be a turning point in American history. And it's so interesting, Carrie, this confluence of events 
You've got a pandemic that's killed 100,000 Americans, a large proportion of them being African-Americans from low-income areas. You've got this incredible faulty justice system, which has been there for really since since slave times, 400 years, and it continues on all levels to show discrimination against people of colour. You've got a really cracked healthcare system and you have you have a president who can't let himself out of a paper bag. And and you have anarchy, which is not And you the have answer. anarchy. So I just, Businesses I, I just think being this destroyed, is... people's livelihoods being destroyed, already under threat. Um, I mean, I, I thought I heard Barack Obama the other day. He didn't really offer much. I didn't think, except disappointment. Well, how much did we? How much were we impressed by the Atlanta mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who said to the yeah, said to everybody amazing. on the weekend, "If you want to change in America, go and register to vote." Show up at the polls on June 9th and do it again in November. We need change in this country. I thought she was fantastic. Um, do you think? Do you think it will affect? I'm not sure it will affect the result of the presidential election. Well, look, it, it well, look. It depends how the swinging states uh, consider this. I mean, and we must remember that a number of the swinging states, like Arizona and so on, have a larger, older population, and they have been particularly affected by COVID nineteen. So they might be unimpressed by the way the um, Donald Trump has managed this. It was really interesting. The BBC. But the powerlessness. Sorry to interrupt. Has been ingrained. Given that only half the population vote, it's hard to imagine people being galvanised into voting when they just have never even considered that they had a say. Well, it's interesting. George Floyd's brother this week, who travelled from New York to the site in Minnesota where his brother was killed, uh, made a point again, a bit like uh, the Atlanta mayor, saying the only way we can get out of this is to vote. Now, Joe Biden came out on the weekend with, I thought, a really heartfelt statesman-like, compassionate, you know, Joe's so good on the empathy, uh, really fabulous statement to the people about we need change and please let it start with me and the government and the administration that I will put in place. The BBC had, oh, they wrote, a, they, um, so I don't know who the author was, but they had a fantastic editorial um, looking at Donald Trump's handling of this whole issue in the past few days. And he sa- they said... Um, these are, these are circumstances in America that would test the abilities of even the most skillful leaders. This president, however, risks becoming lost at sea. Message discipline, a valuable attribute at times like this, is not his forte. So if ever you needed clear communication, it's now. Yeah, well, there's not a, I don't really know what, what really need, is. And don't you really think they need compul- compulsory voting in the States? I have this conversation with my sister-in-law in San Francisco all the time. Oh, look, it, it, across the world, it just baffles me that it's not compulsory. It just absolutely baffles me. I mean, so many what we consider first world countries, although you look at America at the moment and it's hard to see it that way. Anyway, that is the situation in America. Moving story, Caro. It is, it is, and it doesn't look like sort of settling down anytime soon. Now, the Bernard Salt article in The Weekend Australian, revival of the suburban dream after the coronavirus comet, comet um, fascinating, mm. and it made you think, so you, you lead off. Well, it just, uh, so, Ber- so Bernard's premise here was that um, during uh, during lockdown, it's forced a number of us to stay at home. It's forced adult children, for example, to come home to the family home. It's uh, forced older people to uh, not go in, like my husband, for example, um, not that he's ancient, but instead of going to his workplace, which has been shut down, he has been at home for nine weeks. So a number of young and old people are in that situation. And of course, they're rediscovering the joys of suburban life. Suburban Australian life, which for so long was ridiculed 
sometimes kindly by people like Barry Humphreys and Clive James and the like, uh, now, of course, has become the refuge. And Bernard is Bernard Salt's, Salt argues, and he is one of Australia's finest demographers, he's certainly our best-known demographer, he's arguing that there could be a, a revitalisation. Interestingly, Carol, in our suburb where the bookshop is, all of the traders have said, you know, we've opened up slowly and carefully, but we're all noticing this goodwill, this bonhomie, this, you know, oh. we're so glad you're here and we're so glad you're open. And uh, I've been at home for nine weeks. Thank goodness this coffee shop's still operating. And thank goodness this restaurant's yep. turned into takeaway. And everybody's just... Lining up to buy our coffees this morning. I mean, I spoke to everyone else who was standing around. I wouldn't have done that three months ago. You know, total strangers. And um, we, we, I said this last week, you converse with everyone in the coffee queue. I know the names of nearly all the storeholders I deal with now at the market I go to. Um, the shopping strip has become my refuge for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I told you I get the heebie-jeebies when I walk into, into Chadston or Southland. I just, I don't, I, I try to do, I can understand it's a one-stop shop, but I don't enjoy it. And, you know, they, they have become almost places of fear, haven't they, because of the large numbers. And we've been avoiding all of those. You and I love our local cinema. I mean, the days of, um, I think there was a revival leading that way anyhow. I feel that, don't you? Well, I, I, wrote, a, I wrote a column for The Domain um, probably in about February, I reckon it was, on uh, the revival of the high street in the UK. So, and I think I've even mentioned it on the podcast, Caro, Boris yep. Johnson, when he was elected, said he was going to give a power of money to saving England's high streets, which were just dying and being decimated. And it was a fantastic campaign. God knows what's happened to it now um, since coronavirus. But um, I wrote an article about that and I've, I, don't, I don't think, or I can't even think for how many articles over how many years, it provokes so much response into my own email box with people saying we love our, you know, we love Elfington or we love, uh, you know, Kensington or we love, wherever their local, Bemorris, wherever their local suburb was. Um, it was really impactful upon me because I thought maybe there is a turn happening. Maybe people are realising that it's beneficial. You, you, know, you, you, say, you save on energy with your car because you can usually walk or ride your bicycle to your local shops. Uh, you get to know your local traders so you have great relationships with them. Um, your kids can grow up feeling safe and secure in a local environment. If they get into trouble, they usually know somebody who runs one of the shops and they can run in and say, you know, I'm in a pickle. Um, it's just a, I don't know, I just, I just, I'm just loving the fact that <laughs> the people are coming home. Yeah, no, um, my, my son and I do, Ned and I do a, at least once, often twice a week, little visit to the local market early, early, early morning. And um, we have our little routine and where we go and share a, something, a pastry at our favourite bakery and get a Do you a think it'll be and... sustainable, Caro? Well, I, I think some things will stay now. I think we'll, we will become more and more a cashless society as a result of this. It was coming that way anyway. And the fact that we were almost stopped from using cash at many places, I think that will continue. I think that we've realised how much, you're right, what we're saving on energy in terms of petrol. I mean, I just walk so many places now rather than drive. Um, I think that will be sustained. And I, I, I do. I think the local shopping strips will be the beneficiaries of this. Sadly, I think online shopping has had a bit of an explosion. Not that I'm, I hate online shopping, but, 
you know, me, I like the person-to-person experience. Our friend Mary hates it after the Russian jumpsuit arrived. The second one. size is too small. No, it wasn't too small. I just think it was not what it was meant to be. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? She's getting some amazing cooking appliances. Some of the things (laughs) she is able to do now, the way she can turn a carrot, I tell you. Um, Anyway, so, um, no, look, I, I think all of that, and and I think as we said last week, you know the the smaller dinner, the six person dinner, mm-hmm. people are realising that one conversation is often a really nice way to entertain. So yeah, I I I, I fear that things will change eventually. But no, I think I mean even Peter Volandis, who we've talked about a lot, the head of the um, ARL. I'm the starting to think boss, you have a bit of a thing for him. Oh, he's a fascinating because such a fascinating thing that he's doing. I mean, he, this is about the fifth week in a row he, that you've mentioned. He, him. He's walked away from ANZ Stadium in New South Wales which is a bit, you know, there was going to be this massive renovation done. It's where the AFL played games. It was where the Olympics were held, you know, Homebush, blah, blah, blah. And he's got the government to invest money into smaller suburban ovals. So he, he's seen the future that way as well. And that, that's a big challenge for the AFL in New South Wales because that's what they're lacking, local suburban grounds to play footy on. So all these things, everything seems to be shrinking back to something. I don't know. It's an it's an interesting it's an interesting social experiment, quite apart from all the hardship that's happened out we'll of pro- this. We'll probably start to see it in the next year or so in terms of house prices, for example. So yep. will will homes in the outer suburbs start to compete uh, rather seriously with homes that are in, say, North Fitzroy or Well, people in my Richmond. family have found who are looking people who I know who are looking for rental. The rental market, Rose, my eldest daughter, well known to this podcast, wrote a really interesting story about trying to rent a house about three or four years ago and how you turn up to look at a half-decent house in Carlton and there are 40 or 50 people there. It's very different now because the B&B, Airbnb market's been obviously decimated and a lot of those Airbnbs are now available for rent. So it's a, if you've got the money, it's a good time to rent a house, mm. for example. Going into the office, I've, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that everyone's going to be working at home. I've, I don't know what it's going to do to the CBD, Carol. In I terms had a of meeting, energy, it's good. But I had a meeting in a, a, and, and it was socially distanced meeting around a table uh, last week in the CBD in an office. And to get into the office block, uh, you know, there was all the hand sanitizers and a guard and and areas cordoned off and you only had one area to go to the lift and you had to stand on X's to get into the lift. That seemed to take quite a long time too. And um, it felt so alone and um, I just felt, I felt so disconnected. Walking down Collins Street, it was a shock. I don't know what you do if you are a retailer in the CBD at the moment. Well, maybe it'll be, the, it'll be the outing again. Let's go into town. Caro, on retail matters, I have to tell you a couple of things I've discovered about shopping during the coronavirus, uh, global patterns of behaviour, and then I want to hear about your own personal behaviour. Mm-hmm. So what went up, do you reckon? Flour. Correct. Um, and all kind of yeast-related and... Cooking. Yeah. Cooking stuff. Um, oh, God, you, you, I can't <laughs> think of anything you're else. Just, <laughs> you're, um, you've just stopped there. Um, sex toys. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yes, okay. Not something that I'm in the market for, but that's fine. <laughs> Apparently, no, I heard someone say on the radio the other day that, that Sexy, Landers, Sexy Landers' profits have been, you know, quadrupled. Uh, look, Hair product? I have to say this with a Hair straight face. No, can I just talk about my, Can I just go back to my sex toys for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> you, did, so, you just use this topic as an excuse <clears throat> to talk about sex toys. Probably. 
Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I used it as an excuse to quote the online adult store called Randy Fox. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah, um, what have they, so they it? reported a significant increase. Usually sales dwindle after February, which, of course, is St. Valentine's Day, and they have a rather quiet winter, not this year. Uh, sex toys are up 30% in total sales figures from the previous month before lockdown. Meanwhile, Sex Doll Genie, which claims to be the largest sex doll retailer in the world, has seen, quote, a record number of orders during the coronavirus What's pandemic. Sex doll? Oh, Is it come life on. Size? Yes, use your imagination. Really? The retailer. Why, why, can do, I finish? why do people can I finish? buy them around Valentine's Day? <laughs> well, why would, can I finish? <laughs> can I finish? Point of story to come. The retailer will sell a range of uh, the retailer, comma, which sells a range of over two thousand six hundred premium made-to-order sex dolls. Said it saw a fifty-one point six percent increase in orders from single men in February and March, rising a further thirty. 3.2% in April. However, UK condom sales have plummeted since the lockdown began, citing the fact that people were having less sex because of social distancing measures. And as one condom manufacturer executive said, not only were young, pe- young not only were young people having less hookups, but increased anxiety had led to less sex between established couples. Really? Anyway, that was not my excuse really? to talk about sex. How did I get onto that topic? I just don't know why you'd buy more sex toys around Valentine's Day. I mean, I thought that was more of something. Oh, anyway. Um, exercise, exercise equipment went through the roof in March and April. Kettlebells, you know kettlebells, the yep. ones you lift in the yep. gym. A 419% jump in consumer demand in the UK. How's well, that? What about books and magazines? I would have thought that. Would well, I be... don't have a I don't have an industry figure yet on books. I'm I'm actually waiting for something from the Australian Booksellers Association. But look, certainly it has to be people books. Re- gone up. Jigsaws went more. mental. Yeah, I j- couldn't get enough jigsaws. In fact, Australia's sold out of jigsaws. Really? Mm. Oh well, there there can't be. There was some. Must be some. Oh, they're coming somewhere. back now. Well, a lot of them were from China. So you see, our supplier of our lovely French provincial ones. The supplier is from China, or the manufacturer, sorry, and the supplier here just couldn't get enough, and they sold out, uh, I think, about the second week of April. I put in an order for over $1,000 worth of jigsaws. God, I hope they don't arrive because I think we've <laughs> moved on. Just note to self, cancel no, well, that order. People but um, might, but no, she just laughed. Coming. I rang her up and she she laughed. She said, Corey, join the queue. I said, but I've put in an order for $1,000. Do I get it? <laughs> Do I get priority? She said, no, there are hundreds of orders ahead of you. I, I hate to. I, I don't like to um, um, be in a, be negative about your business, but we have. A, oh, please do. We, we people no, are. No, 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 I love your business, but we have a tradition in summer that you just go to the local op shop and buy jigsaw puzzles. They cost two dollars. Caro, and, Corona germs. Well, yes. People and, are worried about Corona germs, and I, and some op shops still haven't reopened, or we know, although we know the Sacred Heart Mission has, and is doing a cracker. Oh my God! And his sales figures, I, I'm so envious. I know it's amazing. <laughs> it, it's just amazing how well they've done, which is great. But um, if you can't get a beautiful new jigsaw, and it's a great present, when the op shops reopen, I swear they're. I suppose you could sanitize every little piece. Now that would be um, that would be a Carol, bit. Carol, you have a crush, and it's not the man from the NRL. You have a crush on behalf of Red Energy. It's certainly not Peter Volandis. And, in fact, it's nothing to do with football. You'll be happy to hear, Corrie, with about 10 days to, 10 days to go till the – oh, no, less. 
just a week really now till the ball is bounced for the Mighty Tigers. You won't know what hit you. I've I've been following Jenny Hocking's story. Here's an Australian yes. uh, political historian who has been trying for over a decade to get access to letters between Buckingham Palace and John Kerr around the time of the Whitlam dismissal. She failed in – she's gone through several judicial processes. She failed, I think, in the High Court. Then she appealed and she failed again. She managed to get an appeal for that second failed hearing and she won. Last week, she has actually been given access to documents. The The argument was that these were these were Crown documents and therefore private, that it was property of the Commonwealth. She has argued successfully that this is Australia's political history and it should not be kept from the public just because the Queen is involved. So the letters between... We think Buckingham Palace, Queen Elizabeth, her representatives and John Kerr are now going to become public as a result of Jenny Hocking's quest. She's also had all her legal costs paid by the Commonwealth as a result of this win that happened um, last Friday in the highest court in the land. So Jenny Hocking, triumph of persistence, doing your job. What a wonderful professor she is and I'm really looking forward to this story emerging. And to use another well-known phrase, Caro, softly, softly, catchy monkey. Well, that's right. That's right. But assistance pays off. I think it's been a pretty stressful, um, a pretty stressful quest for Jenny Hocking. Well done, Jenny. Um, that was crush of the week for Red Energy. Call one three one eight zero six for Red Energy. Now, BSF, you have a book, and I really want to hear about this. Okay, super quick. It's called Hamnet, and it's by Maggie O'Farrell, and it's a fictional account, completely out of her head because there is so little on the life of William Shakespeare, which is really interesting, isn't it? But it's the marriage between William Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway, who in this book is known by her traditional English name, Agnes, and the death of their 11-year-old son, who was a twin, whose name was Hamnet. Now, we believe Hamnet died of uh, the plague. Um, We know that he died at 11 years of age, and we know that his name which in some in England at the time could either have been Hamlet or Hamnet, it was quite a common name, uh, inspired probably William Shakespeare's greatest tragedy, tragedy, Hamlet. So that's asking a lot of the reader, especially when there is so little on the life of William Shakespeare. But Maggie O'Farrell does this with such integrity and she, intelligence. She's normally a bit of a chick lit Author? No, no, she's I been not. She's she's been well. Her stories are often relationships based. The hand that first held mine. Um, oh, what was it called? Something in a heatwave. Gone out of my head. It came out about four years ago. I'll come back to me in a second. Um, she is Irish born, so she has that sort of, uh, I guess, Irish um, earnestness about her. She now lives in Scotland. But she has been shortlisted for various awards over the years. And in fact, Hamnet last week or the week before was announced as a shortlist contender for the Women's Prize for Fiction, which is quite probably my most favourite global literary award. I value it enormously. This is a wonderful book. Instructions for a Heatwave. That's it, I just looked it up for you. thank you. And this must be the place. That's the one I've read. Yeah, she's look, I'm going to go through her whole repertoire now because I'm a real fan of her writing. This is a beautiful love story, but it's also a story of uh, about grief and about a couple who lose a child and their inability or ability, depending on uh, 
how much of the book you want me to tell you. Um, no. I won't say anything more. Um, to move on and move through grief. And um, I just love it. The book clubs that we run at the shop, which we are now doing via Zoom, which is always interesting with 75 people, two Zoom meetings, quite a lot of faces on the oh, screen, Caro. <laughs> Quite a lot of ch- – it's fun, it's chattery, but it's good. That sounds but, exhausting. Um, we've had our first one on Hamnet, and honestly, it is a ripper of a book to dissect for book club, but it's just a beautiful book to, to curl up with. You are in um, 17th century England, uh, in the fields, in the opening scene before you know it. Hamnet by, by Maggie. Maggie O'Farrell. Now, we're, we're going to share screen today because we've both been obsessed by two Foxtel offerings that have been on over the last... Well, one of them's been going for eight weeks and we've spoken about it before. That's Mrs America, starring Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Sheffley, a character I knew nothing about up until this show began. And the other one is Belgravia that started a couple of weeks ago, which clearly is a lot better than the book, which mm. is the, the book by Julian Fellows who wrote Downton Abbey, who wrote the script for Gosford Park. And he's also written the script for this, for and, Belgravia. I think he's probably better for the visual rather than the um Oh, look, seriously, it, it's um, it's so interesting about the building of, of a suburb, you know, what has become, you know, the most up, market sort of suburb, I guess, district of England. The acting, it, it, it's just a high-class soap, historic soap opera, isn't it? Fantastic. It's, you cannot... So there's a scandal that unfolds. We have to be very careful not to give too much away, but it begins, I don't think this is giving anything away, it begins at the Duchess of Richmond's Ball on the night of the 15th of June, 1815. It was held in Brussels for the Duke of Wellington, who was about to go off and fight Napoleon. And um, at Waterloo. Border, as it turns out, yeah. when they're looking at the maps, they're trying to work out, well, where will we take the French forces on? And somebody points at the map and there, of course, is Waterloo. But the ball is interrupted when they realise that um, Napoleon is on the march. So most of the attendees at the ball are soldiers and they all have to leave with the Duke of Wellington. Something terrible happens around this time. We're not quite sure what, but there is a, there is a, a couple, there are a couple of guests, James and Anne Trenchard, and their younger daughter, Sophia. New money versus old money. It's sort of exactly. the story, isn't it? Exactly. James and Anne, the trenches, what does James Trenchard supply? Does he supply the food to the to the forces he, yes. or, or the ammunition? They call him the magician. Yeah, but is it the ammunition or food he supplies to all the all Wellington's forces? Wellington, oh. of course, rates him highly. I thought I thought it was ammunition. I was thought it, it was yeah. sort of everything. I think he was just a profiteer from yeah. war and he ends up becoming an incredibly wealthy and successful business. And they're rather shunned at this ball, aren't they, Caro? They're well, not they, quite They've had to they've had to procure in QRC Yeah. But um Tamsin Gregg, who plays um Anne Trenchard, is wonderful in this. And Harriet Walter, who's in um Killing Eve as well plays um, Caroline, the Countess. And and then, well, well, basically the story starts again, what, 25 years later? Yes, but we can't talk about that. Oh, look, it is, it's really good. It's wonderful. Mrs America, honestly, is one of Kate Blanchett's great performances. Another um, wonderful Australian actress, Rose Byrne, is in it playing Gloria Steinem. Which, as you said the other day, you think the wig is is the the star. The the hair and the glasses (laughs) take over her performance, really. Um, But Tracy Ullman's brilliant as Betty Friedan. Some of the other characters who I knew nothing about in this battle to have the Equal Rights Amendment passed it, I don't think it's giving anything away to say that the Equal Rights Amendment still hasn't been passed. Oh, well. It's a 10-year battle to get this, and they're trying to get, they're they're about five states away at the moment. We start in about 
69, 70, and we end in 79. So we've got three episodes to go out of 10. You can start, please start watching it. Uh, Ronald Reagan's coming into play now. The opening graphics are fantastic. Um, you can also, fifth, and if yep. you don't have Foxtel, don't panic because I understand Apple TV. You can have access via Apple TV to the eight episodes. Although, don't quote me because I always seem to get this wrong. But um, anyway, just Google and find out where you can see it. it is. It's wonderful, and I agree with you. Kate Blanchett's finest, finest role. Phyllis Schlafly, who was a Republican conservative who believed women should stay at home in marriage, there's this wonderful tension, which you know. Kate Blanchett just does it with one look or in her eyes. Her husband, who is, um, what's his name again? Fred Schlafly, who's played by John Slattery, that terrific actor. You know, John in the home pretends that he is supportive of Phyllis and her cause, but really deep down... Uh, he just wants his wife at home. I love that tension. And he pretends he's sort of running the show when really he's just a two-bit lawyer who hasn't really done that well. There are some wonderful storylines in this. Just when you sympathise with Phyllis and really think that she's not so bad, she just does something so monstrous. Anyway, it's a wonderful show. Now, Mrs Corrie, America, you have food, Carol. I've got a cracker of a recipe. You know how I was a bit critical of the, um, the um, I think, was it the May edition of Gourmet Traveller? Just didn't really do much for me. The June edition is back with a vengeance. Celebrating the magic of spice. There are so many wonderful recipes in this. Some of the soups, oh my God. But I made this cake last week and I made it again on Sunday and served it to you over a game of Scrabble, at which I Two did. games and I was going to say, how did you go? I came last in both, Corrie. <laughs> There's no need to rub it in. And you did very well. Well done, you. This is called a spice cake. I just love these moments, Janie, because they're so rare. A win. Are you joking? Against I've, I've Caroline a, Wilson. I've had a bad run at Scrabble for a long time now. I know, just any win against you is I did, <laughs> it's a I good did, day for I me. Did, I did have a tired victory last week, but you know, even that was cold comfort. This spice cake is so easy to make. There's one hard bit. These are the spices you have to roast, dry roast and grind. One cinnamon quill. Seeds from 20 cardamom pods, which is a bit annoying because you've got a Cinnamon quill. Is that a cinnamon stick? Just a stick. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and 12 allspice berries. Now, you do dry roast them in a frying pan and then mortar and pestle them. But if you've got them in powder form, cardamom, allspice and cinnamon, you can just use a powder. It's, I, don't, I don't have – I've got so much allspice powder, I refuse to buy the berries. So I just use the powder, a teaspoon of powder. But – I did do the 20 cardamom pods and took the seeds out. It doesn't take that long. And the cinnamon quill. And you think it's going to be hard to bash up a cinnamon quill, but it's actually not. Anyway, it is so easy. Round, small cake tin. Um, you beat 150 grams softened butter. That's why it was so moist. That's a lot of butter. Um, with 80 grams of demerara sugar. And that's the only sweet element in this cake. So it's not overly sweet. Um, honey. Oh, there's honey in there too. Sorry. Spices which I've already mentioned, a pinch of salt. And you just fluff all that up, add three eggs one at a time. Then you just stir through 350 grams of um, almond meal. And I don't bother grinding them. I just buy the almond meal. Um, A teaspoon of baking powder and a quarter of a cup of buttermilk, which we always have in the house because Clem loves to use it with her schnitzel. Anyway, cook it for 45 minutes. It is so beautiful, Corrie. There's an icing recipe, which I did last week for the family dinner, involving um, a vanilla bean, mascarpone, yogurt and um, candied oranges, which again, I bought from the market. I didn't do myself. That's beautiful. And then you scatter with pistachio nuts if you want to be really smart, but you don't need to ice it. 
the cake itself is so beautiful. Your spice cake rocked. It's, it's really... It was just fantastic. And I agree with you, no icing needed. No. People, people might think it looks a little alone. And maybe you could do, Caro, if you were serving it to um, somebody other than the Scrabble Girls, you might put some you know, blueberries or something on the top if well, you wanted you can, to dress you it sprinkle, up a bit. I didn't have pistachio nuts when I cooked it in Melbourne, so I did roasted almonds just over the oh, top. Oh, yeah, something like that would with, be and, beautiful. And a bit of rosemary as a bit of a side thing. You know, anyway, look, it is absolutely beautiful. And how much do we love demerara sugar in a recipe? And that reminds me of something that our friend Jeff Slattery, who's a big demerara sugar person. With his crumble. Yeah, with his topping. crumble. He texted you and I the other day. Remember last week when I was talking about placing sugar bowls around your house when somebody oh, dies? I just had to. I just had to. <laughs> he said, he sent you and I a check saying, whenever I have a bad day on the punt, I'm going to place sugar around the house to assist me in my moments of mourning. The mention of um, Jeff reminds me of the Hawthorne Football Club, your club, and the fact that John Kennedy Sr. became a, an we AFL. We always knew he was a legend. Well, he became an AFL legend this week, and a lot of we all thought that it would be a footballer because so many big names in terms of football. I actually had 10 each way on you, Caro. Oh, God. No, 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 no. They don't... Don't put journalists into the Hall of Fame. Although there is, there I think is he- some, Hector there Lacey. Is, I think Hector Lacey didn't went Percy in. Percy Beams? Go no, no, no. Alf no, Brown? No. Kara, no. you'll be there before no, you turn no, 75. No, no. no, I won't. But um, anyway, no, it's it's more for footballers. But it reminded me of when, and you know, his three generations of Kennedys have played in premiership teams. John Kennedy Jr. played in four Hawthorne He was no slouch. Mm. But it would just remember the and 2012 Josh. grand final where Joey Kennedy, Josh Kennedy, was playing for the Sydney Swans and John Kennedy Sr. agreed to present the Premiership Cup to Alistair Clarkson if Hawthorne won. And I always wondered what that would have been like for the Kennedy family. I mean, that's how much he loved Hawthorne. He was going to present the Cup to the opposition team if his grandson's team lost. And he and he said he was barracking for Hawthorne, mm. even though he wanted Josh to be best on ground. That is, that's big. Oh, look, there are lots of... Lots of football families that have those sort of conflicts. Look at you and Brendan. I I reckon that's pretty rare, though. Anyway. You sit on opposite ends of the couch when it's Tigers v Bombers. Yes, I know, but that's slightly different. No sex toys that night, Caro. The Sydney Swans prevailed. I'm looking forward to the Dreamtime game. I thought you were going to say you're looking forward to your sex toys. Now, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. As I said before, Corrie, call 131806 for real Aussie energy. Melbourne-based teams are out there. Tell them Caro and Corrie sent you. Very quickly, Corrie, I'm also grumpy this week. Two bad things happened to me yesterday. And you know I love the minutiae of life. And you know I love – I've talked a lot about autumn leaves and I often talk about pine cones. Within the space of two hours, I set out on my morning walk. I walked down a a side street, a bit of a country lane. A group of workmen were pulling down, well, soaring down. There was cranes and the biggest pine tree you've ever seen. Not the one in that house, that abandoned house where you and I go and steal them. No, it was another country lane. There were pine cones rolling around the street. They were... And there were men And with you had saws. no bag. I had no bags and I was on foot and you I wanted to be You should have been crying for the loss of the tree. And they're, they're putting all these wonderful pine, a big fat show cone variety into their, you know, thing where everything turns into sawdust. It was, it, it broke my heart. I said, stop, just leave them all here. I'll come back. No, 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 we've got to do that. Can you imagine that. if you're one of the workmen, Jane? 
It's Caroline Wilson from Channel just 9. Leave, just leave the... Po- Stop! Leave my pine cones as if, as if I'm going to... Anyway. I'm chaining myself to you. Two hours later, Muncher. I get equipped with my jute bag where I've been collecting my <laughs> autumn leaves. You know, as we know, oak leaves are the best compost ever. I went to the spot where only two days earlier there had been the biggest piles of oak leaves lying around and I had my jute bag. It's been raining, so they would have been all sludgy and wet and thanks, Eloise Hudson, absolutely perfect for compost. Someone had swept them up. Oh, God. No autumn leaves Call and the no, police. no pine cones. Minnesota's burning. Yep. Oh, righto. No. We can, hey, listen, sometimes our brains and our human capacity for grief is just too much to cope with the terrible things that are happening. We have to focus on the small things that make us happy. And when you can't see your leaves, you burst into tears. Oh, look, I would, the autumn, I'd swear, what a waste. They would have been put in a rubbish bin somewhere and the carbon will be releasing and, oh, I just couldn't bear it. Anyway, that's why I'm grumpy. Let's now move time, on. Now time for six quick questions. Now, back onto one of your favourite topics, Corrie. Five months until the presidential election, who is likely to be Joe Biden's running mate? Can I just say I've put two days aside in my di- in my work diary, not that I use my diary anymore, but in, in November to watch this on television back to back. Um, well, Caro, people were talking about Elizabeth Warren <clears throat> and who was positioning herself quite brilliantly to be the running mate, even though she is 70 and Joe is 75. There was some ceiling feeling among Democrats they need a generational renewal. But I think since events of last week, um, and rights around America. Joe Biden, who has said he is going to have a woman running, a female running mate, I think he will probably go for a woman of colour. And so that probably would be either Kamala Harris, um, Val Demings, who's a House, a House of Reps member for Florida, or Susan Rice, who's a former national security advisor. Um, Stacey Abrahams might be an outside bet. Maybe even our wonderful Atlanta mayor, Buttons might get in, but I suspect it's probably going to be Carmela, Val or Susan. Might be Amy Klobuchar if he decides to go for somebody from the mid-states. Mid that reminds me of Shirley Chisholm, who was one of the main characters in uh, Mrs. America and what happens to her and her battle to be... Um... Isn't that a great episode? Oh, They're that's... all great episodes, actually. Caro, my question to you, what is your biggest fear about the AFL return to business as usual? Well, it won't be business as usual, clearly, because... Um, People can't go to the games. My biggest fear is an anti-climax. We have waited for this for so long. The NRL ratings last week. there are so many good games. Were... How could it possibly be an anti-climax? Well, I just hope that people aren't disappointed. The talk about the games will return, it'll save the industry, the money will start rolling in. That's my biggest fear, Corrie. Susie Quattro turned 70 this week. <gasps> What's your favourite track? By Seven, Susie. 70. I know, well, one of my Jane, first albums. Jane's going to give it away here. Devil Gate Drive. <laughs> Oh, that's it. At the age of five, they can do their drive. What, what did you think of Susie when she became a bit of a balladeer, a stumbling in? I used oh, to... no, I didn't like stumbling in. I, I think you like... and I have talked about this before. I feel like it's deja vu. No, there was a good documentary about not a great documentary, but she did do a documentary. Um, I think she was a bit prickly as an interviewer with the old Susie, or still is. 70. I wonder if she still rocks in the um, leather pants. Caro, Elon Musk's space... X, is it? Rocket took off on the weekend. I don't even know what it's called. My lack of interest, 10. When we think of man in space, what's your level of interest? No interest. Yeah. Just doesn't grab me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I know that um, I think that ship has sailed for me. I love I love nostalgic American movies, you know, like The Right Stuff and 
um, the, the one about all the women on all the work they did like behind the scenes. Is it like being there done that, do you think? Well, no, I just think that there are bigger issues back on our planet. Mm, to let's be, look after our planet, Carol. Not quite sure. Not quite sure that it really grabs me at the moment. What's what's this week's favourite royal family photo? Queen on horse oh. at Windsor Park. Did she she been Somebody riding? said to me the other day, why on the podcast do you mm. call her Queen? I'm sorry about that. I, I once interviewed Freddie Fox, who was the Queen's milliner. We went out to the races together to the Melbourne Cup. I spent the day with him and wrote a profile, which was a real hoot. But he does, of course, her he does her hats and um, he calls her Queen. So I just got into the habit. Queen says <laughs> Queen said this to me the other day. Queen prefers Aqua to so what she been she been um, back on the nag. She, she she's she was pictured horse riding. Did you not see it? At, no, I missed at, it. At Windsor, it's her first public appearance since coronavirus lockdown, and she was wearing a rather lovely green jacket with a colourful scarf, and she was riding her fourteen year old fell pony. So fell ponies are the ones with the big clumpy legs, you know, so they don't sort of take off, which is good because the queen's over ninety. Yeah, um, and the horse is called Balmoral Fern. Oh, wow. She rocks. So how old is she now, 86? No, 93. No, sorry, of course. So what am I talking Goodness about? me. 93 and still riding. That's there amazing. There you go. One me more to you. question. Yes. What's the most boring job on your annual calendar? Getting my car serviced. Yeah. Oh, it's just such a thankless task. Or going to the dentist, I'd say. Oh, yeah, no, that's not great either. And in fact, you should get your car serviced more than once a year too. So I suppose it's more than once. Um no, it's great once it's been serviced and they clean it and stuff, but it's such a fag to go out there and organise. Can you get a replacement car or having to sit there and wait or getting the call in the middle of the afternoon You've had a tough when you're really week, busy? Oh, I just find that the most boring job ever. I've got one of my dear friends, her mum has got has got a boast that I reckon is one of the greatest um, boasts I've ever heard. Never once has she had to put petrol in her car. She has never put pet- petrol in her own car. Well, she finds a little man to do it. She well, for a long time, other people did it, and I still have a still I still have a place where I go to that puts petrol in my car, which was handy yesterday in the pouring rain. But um, I mean, her husband did it, or and now she has a driver. She's in her nineties, so the driver does it. Wouldn't that be great to never have to put petrol in your car? I hate it. It's such a pain. And when isn't I go it? up to Ballarat, that really cold. Is it a shell station? I don't know. Balan. How do I pronounce it again? Balan. Balan. Don't I always you say dare Ballin. say Balan. I know. Oh. Sorry. I said that last week. Balan. I swear it snowed one day and you and you're almost out of petrol. You're on fumes and you're just driving past Balan. And it's getting dark. And, and you think, cold. oh, I've got to get to Ballarat. Can I, can I get there? Can I get there? No, I've got to fill up and it's minus one degree. But what about when you get there and there's a queue and you have to wait for a queue to get petrol? Oh, Oh, those things really oh, are they very. This is a, this is a really on funny that, podcast today. On that We're happy note, on the small things of life. Well, that's what that's that's, that's our what, lives, that's Corrie. What, on that happy note, it's time to close. Thank you again to our podcast supporter, Red Energy. Who must be going? How did we get into this? Thank you for your feedback and comments. Love and if you, people Red think um, we're spoiled brats, we're sorry. Send your feedback, comments, tips, and suggestions to Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod, and you can email us feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you to Miss Jane. Thank you to Red Energy. Call 131806 for real Aussie energy. And don't forget our GLT episode, which will drop over the weekend. Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Caro.
Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy.